In my family, uh, growing up, we uh, went fishing every once in a while. I had the distinct privilege of being the one that if anyone got skunked, it would be me. Uh, it was a, a bad day uh, if we all got skunked, but uh, most of the time it was only me. And I had the unique privilege, too, of being the one who would catch the odd things. Once I caught a boot, a can, a, a big bunch of algae, and a sheep, sheep had fish. Those are ugly things. The last time I was fishing was with my grandfather, and he's been gone almost uh, 29 years already, so that lets you know how long it was. It was a beautiful day, and I just loved being out on the shore by my grandfather, and he was like 15 feet away, and he was pulling the fish in at a rather, rather steady pace. And I just was in la-la land, I guess. I was praying and just sitting there and enjoying the day, it was a beautiful day, a nice gentle breeze coming across the lake, and you know, it wasn't too hot, too cold. The sun wasn't too high that we had to worry about sunburn or anything like that. And after some time, he said, you know, it's been an hour, you should probably pull your line in. I pulled it in and the worm was gone. <laughs> if I had to eat only what I could catch, I would be a very, very thin man. If I had to eat only what I could grow, I would be even thinner, apparently. And so thank God that I'm not limited to what I can catch or grow. But St. Peter, on the other hand, this was his livelihood. It wasn't just a bad day of recreational fishing. It was a bad day, period, and rather, it was a bad night. They had been fishing all night and caught nothing. If anyone knew that lake, it would have been St. Peter. He had been fishing that lake for years already at that point. Probably started as, as soon as he could really walk and, and stand in a boat. And so for him to not catch anything was devastating. And maybe they had caught something the night before that they could use to sell and to live on. But I can't imagine uh, the conversation that he was looking forward to or not looking forward to as he went home to his wife, empty-handed. Well, what did you catch uh, this, uh, this night? Nothing. Well, how are we going to eat? What are we going to live on? And maybe that was in his head as they were on that shore washing the nets, a job that was tedious and burdensome cleaning the nets and making sure they were all prepared for the next night, thinking how yeah, a lot of good it did to clean them last night. We didn't even, we shouldn't have even thrown them in the lake. All this work for nothing. And then Jesus gets into their boat and tells them, put out a, a short distance. He was probably saying, oh, great, great break from cleaning the nets. But he probably just wanted to go home, get some sleep, and maybe he, in between listening to Jesus, drifted off. I know that would never happen, that somebody would fall asleep while somebody's preaching. And he listens to the words of Jesus. This is their first encounter in the Gospel of St. Luke. According to St. Luke, I should correct myself. And so when Jesus is done, when Jesus tells them to put out to deep water and lower their nets for a catch, Simon, besides saying, oh, Master, we've worked hard all night and have caught nothing, but at your command I will lower the nets, he's probably thinking, who are you? I grew up in this lake. This is my home. He, the boat would have been 
as familiar to him as anything. The lake, he would have known the best fishing spots. He probably went from spot to spot to spot and yet caught nothing. But at your demand, I will lower the net. And when they start to pull in that miraculous catch, things escalate very quickly. It's not normal that somebody would depart from me, for I am a sinful man. This is not normal. No matter how much, how mysterious. And yet, this is exactly what St. Peter does. Perhaps because he recognizes there's something more than a teacher, a preacher in his boat. Perhaps he understands that this one who is standing in his boat has command of the fish in the sea, and perhaps, as he will find out, has command even of the wind and the waves. And he knows he's in a dangerous situation. Not dangerous as in uh, it's going to physically do him harm, but spiritually. He finds himself very much where we find Isaiah in today's first reading. As the, the veil that veils heaven and earth is ripped apart and he sees the throne of God. And he hears angels, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. By the way, where do we hear that? It's where we ourselves had the veil ripped away for a brief second as we enter into the Eucharistic prayer, as Jesus Christ takes what looks like bread and wine, that form, becoming the, the bread and wine becoming his body and blood and allowing us communion with him. Isaiah understands and he depart from me, for I am a, a man of sinful or unclean lips and a land of unclean lips. And what does the angel do? But cleanses them, places a burning hot coal on his lips. Well, thank God we don't have any burning hot coals today, but we receive something that burns even brighter. We receive Jesus Christ, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ who redeems us. As St. Peter understands, again, that he's in a very, very unique situation. And Jesus tells him, do not be afraid. I find it interesting. Jesus says, do not be afraid, almost more than he says anything else. He keeps telling people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And fear so often is an enemy of our spiritual life. And he's telling us, do not be afraid. And he tells Peter, from now on, you will be catching men. This is not just a little throw line, and I think instinctively most of us know this, and scripture scholars, have, uh, there, there's a few that have spent their lifetime trying to explain what this means, and because it's not a normal, it's not a turn of phrase that was common. Jesus is the first one to say that. From now on, you will be fishing fishers of men or catching men. What does this mean? But I think it has something to do with what a fisherman does. They throw their nets down into the sea and they pull up the fish. And so if Peter is to be a fisher of men, he's to do the same thing. 
to throw the net of the gospel into the sea of darkness, of doubt, of sin, of corruption, of, of all that plagues humanity, and pull up those who are ensnared in that gospel in the most good and holy way they can, to bring them up into the light of the kingdom of God, to bring them into the gospel, to embrace that gospel. And what is the gospel? We keep using that term and we hear it, and like I already said, I corrected myself, we don't have the gospel of St. Luke or Mark or Matthew or John. It's the gospel according to, because there's only one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what we hear today and uh, hear of today in today's second reading. As St. Paul tells the Corinthian community, find yourself in the gospel that I handed on to you because I first received it myself. I think there's a beauty in that pattern. We cannot share the gospel unless we've received the gospel. And if we don't know what the gospel is, have we really received it? And sometimes we think the gospel is this big and and confusing thing. And it can be, because it's mystery. Mysteries are not always fully understood. But the gospel in its nutshell is what we hear St. Paul telling the Corinthian community, that Jesus Christ took flesh, that he suffered and died on the cross for us, that he rose again, that he appeared this is not, he's naming these people not, not just because he's trying to record a history, but he's naming the people because he's daring the people that doubt. Go to them. The 500, many of whom are still alive, go to the ones who are alive. Ask them, do they remember seeing Jesus Christ? If you don't believe my witness, he seems to be telling, go to them. Go to them. That Jesus Christ loves us. They open the gates of heaven for us. This is the gospel. And the wonderful thing about the gospel is so often that it, it produces fruits in us, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And I keep finding myself awed in that very term. And I've, I've said it before, you know, a fruit tree does not produce fruit for itself. That would be a very dumb fruit tree. A fruit tree produces fruit for the propagation of their species, and God has created the fruit tree to give, give fruit to you, life, to the animals and to humans. By the way, I, I joked last night, if I had to eat only the apples, that the three uh, apple trees that, uh, in the backyard of the rectory, I'd be a very hungry man too. In fact, I ate the entire crop this year. Two apples. Two, two edible apples, I should correct myself. But an apple tree that produces apples just for itself is not going to be long-lived. The apple tree produces fruit for all to enjoy because that's how God created it. And the same is true for us. If we've received the gospel, we don't keep that gospel to ourselves. It's supposed to produce fruit in us that then we give to the world for the propagation of other Christians, to build up the church, and for the edification and the building up of those already in the church. The gospel is not ours to hoard, but ours to share. And St. Peter was given the specific task to become a fisher of men. That Jesus Christ changed his occupation from being a fisher of fish 
to being one who spreads the gospel like a net into the ocean of confusion. Oh, this world needs the gospel. We need the gospel. So often we think if we share the gospel, it's going to make us weird. You just have this image of, of those that share the gospel become evangelists. The, the technical word, perhaps, that, that we all become like monkeys swinging on the church chandeliers. That isn't what the, being an evangelist does to us. Rather, it makes us more fully who we are meant to be. Sharing the gospel sometimes is just listening to somebody in their pain, of being with them, and telling them Jesus Christ loves them and hears their prayers. Sometimes sharing the gospel is, is sharing their joy and rejoicing and reminding them God has brought you this joy for a reason. Sometimes sharing the gospel is more, is more than what we imagine. It's more simple because while it is a mystery why Jesus Christ would love us so much that he would die on the cross, while it's a mystery how God rose him, raised him from the dead, while it's a mystery, it's simplicity that God loves us, that God knows we need salvation and wants us to be with him for eternity. And once we realize the simplicity of the gospel, we realize that it's simple to share it.